Brian, are you going to be able to get the Packers people on our show? Um, are Probably. you doing it with Acme Packing Company or a different Packers website? Uh, the the podcast that invited me on is uh, Pack to the Future. Okay. So, um, seems a bit forced, but I'm <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, so I could get them on here, but Brad, if you want to have anybody from the the Acme Packing Company, you certainly can. Um, oh, I'm it sure doesn't matter. Can... I mean, any any Packers fan will do, I guess. They're all basically the same anyway. Yeah. <laughs> short podcast. This is Brian Beversluis returning from my unexpected hiatus, joined by John DeLong and uh, Brad Smith. How you guys doing tonight? Good. I'm a little upset. Why are you upset? Because you clearly don't listen to the show. Nope, oh, you sure don't. God. Sure don't. Because we, we, we called you out and we're going to say, we're, like, we're going to see if he's listening to this because if he does... Well, no, because you'll respond to the call you know, out. I did not respond. Do... I don't want to hear it right now. Let me finish. Okay. Okay. You'd also be uh, quivering in your boots right now because I totally outdid you as the host. John was a better host. And I don't All hear right, any quivering well, I guess over I'll there. Just sign off and uh, let you guys run the show. Well, no, we don't want you to sign off. We want to be better, but make you listen to it and like. You know, because you don't listen, listen to, to the it. show when you're not on it, so I will listen to it. I had a lot. You going need to on bask in our greatness, and you know, spoiler alert: when you go back and listen to it, we totally got every prediction right about the Panthers Vikings mm-hmm. game. Nailed it. Both of us predicted the same final score, and it was the correct score. Um, you know, somehow I doubt we actually that. Predict, we, we predicted every yardage total down to the to the exact number. It, it's pretty phenomenal stuff. Considering the fact that you've been talking shit on Jonathan Stewart for the last several weeks, I'm going to go ahead and say that's bullshit. If you listen to the show, you would have heard me say this is his breakout game upcoming. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Actually, yeah. Stewart kind of underperformed because John said he would get 250 yards. And, he did. You know, he, he didn't quite get that, but I was pretty happy with, with, with what he did. I, I was not. He didn't live up to the expectations. Well, okay then. I I'm so sorry that I wasn't on the show. <laughs> I'm a I'm an asshole. I'll I'll admit that right now. It's fine. Um, but yeah, the Panthers beat the Vikings surprisingly. I I fully expected the Panthers to lose that game. I actually was a uh, asked for a guest appearance on a random Vikings blog. It's called the Purple PTSD, which I thought was a super creative name, by the way. Um. And they asked me how I thought the game was going to go, and I said the Panthers are going to get thoroughly beaten. <laughs> well, you were the only one that thought that on this show. Exactly. Apparently. We had full confidence in the Panthers' yep. ability to win. Well, 
I'll excuse myself as the asshole this week to our our listener base. That was my fault. I'll take that. Take it right in the chin and, you know, move on. We're on to the Packers, as a, a certain coach might say. But the Panthers ran for over 200 yards against one of the best defenses in the league. Um, I guess I'll start with John, since he's been so sassy tonight. Uh, what did you think of the Panthers' offense against the Vikings? First of all, I'm always sassy. And, uh, especially sassy tonight, though. Um, I mean, I was I was pleased with it. Um, in terms of like the the game planning and the play calling and stuff, I don't think I had any major gripes. Um, everything kind of made sense. I thought there wasn't anything that stood out to me like, oh, why are we doing that? So I can't really complain. I mean, it wasn't like we didn't blow the doors off or anything. It can't be like ecstatic. I know we have good rushing numbers, but that was kind of two big runs that really inflated it. And obviously those count just the same, but it wasn't like we were consistently gashing the Vikings for big carries and stuff. So I'll say I'm happy with it and yeah, not ecstatic. Just just about as happy as one could be after a decent one like that. Agreed. Agreed. Brad, what'd you think of the offense? I pretty much agree with John. The only thing I saw that I didn't like was the drive late in the game where Cam threw the interception. I thought that we were trying to do too much there. And, you know, I I was I was expecting a meltdown at that point. I'm <laughs> glad that they surprised me and didn't melt down. Um, but, you know, overall, I thought that the offense played well. I thought that we ran the ball well. Uh, yeah, most of our yards came on that one Jonathan Stewart run, but like, John said, and like John's favorite um, color analyst, Tony Romo said, those are real yards that really happen, and they count just as much as any other. Um, It was nice to see Jonathan Stewart able to do that. You know, I've been guilty of saying he's washed up. I still do think that (laughs) Carolina should transition to Cameron Artis Payne more. Uh, I think Stewart would still be more effective in that third and one or third and two role. But it was nice to see him look like Jonathan Stewart from three or four years ago. It was really you funny, know, speaking of Jonathan say- Stewart. Just want to real quick before I get to that. They were showing like little snippets, and they had this – they were kind of showing like his career highlights, like, oh, all-time Panthers leading rusher, um, all these touchdowns, all these career yards. And they had this like nice like hype-up music playing, and then the last stat they just like threw in there was like 3.2 yards per carry last in the NFL. And it just did not fit with like anything else they were showing. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> that that's, he, that's a great way to hype up a player in a, yeah. a, a hype was, video or a, a highlight it, video. Yeah. yeah, it was like like whatever, however many career yards he has, all time leading Panthers rusher, this many touchdowns, most in franchise history, three point two yards per carry, last in the league. Oh well, that's the way to kill that whole momentum you had going. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, based on you guys' responses, I imagine the show before this one was pretty boring, since all you guys do is agree with one another. But um, <laughs> We actually got in a fist fight last week. Live on air. Live on air an on the podcast. We got in an actual, literal fist fight. Physical like, I broke my computer screen. Mm-hmm. So who These won the fist fight? Just well, of course I won the fight. What are you talking about? 
Have you have you seen <laughs> have you seen us how we look? Brad is clearly the more phys- the dominant physical specimen. Yeah, seriously. Wow. Well, I'm glad that you guys destroyed computer equipment last week. I'm so glad that I missed that one because that totally would have not happened if I was the host because that's what I do. I keep the peace. But anyway, so I, Brad, you mentioned the, the interception, which as far as that goes, I actually felt like that was like being aggressive made sense just because as the Panthers often do, they'll get a lead. And then they'll play conservative and they'll blow that lead. And they did that for the most part up until that last drive with where Cam threw the pick because Christian McCaffrey tipped it off his hands. But Cam, and I know Cam is really good at improvising. He did that against the on the Devin Funches play where he threw the touchdown. But that interception, in my opinion, was 100% his fault because if he had thrown that ball with you know, normal quarterback throwing form, he probably would have made a completion and that would have been first down and kept the drive going. So Cam played well. I'm not saying he played bad, but on that particular play, his improvisational qualities did not work out for Carolina because he threw it out of Christian McCaffrey's reach. Um, I still think McCaffrey should have caught it. It was a bad throw. McCaffrey should have caught it. It hit him in the hands. But, you know, Cam did throw it a little high. It was it was a very difficult fault. catch. Yeah, but it was. He threw it a little share. high. He threw it a little high, but he like I would understand his like throwing off his back foot form if like people were in his face. But he had all the time in the world to throw that pass on that particular play. So it seems like we're just going to balance out, you know, the Cam Newton with the positive improvisational plays with the negative improvisational plays at this point because the offensive line can't protect them consistently throughout the season, but. Fun fact, throughout the entire game against one of the best rush defenses in the NFL, the Panthers collectively averaged six yards per carry, and the least the least yards per carry average was Christian McCaffrey with 4.4, which is still good, which is still quite good. So seeing Carolina's rushing game suddenly wake up, and maybe that has something to do with Brian Khalil and Greg Olson being back, but seeing that wake up, that's a really good thing for this team since they're trying to push to the playoffs. Before before I elaborate on the Christian McCaffrey, oh, I guess I'll talk about Christian McCaffrey quick. The thing I like about the 4.4 yards per carry is that his longest run was eight, which means he was consistently picking up solid yardage. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like it was, it's not like he averaged four and a half yards a carry, but he had like one 50-yard run and then a bunch of minus, runs for like negative one yard. I think that was a shot at Stewart. It was not. <laughs> but uh it, it was it's it's been nice to see that he's he's definitely starting to figure things out. He's a lot more assertive when he gets into like when he's uh dealing with contact. He's a lot more decisive when he sees an opening. Yeah, he, he's, he does he's look like he's not dancing him. around so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he his last five games he's averaged four point four, four point six, eight point nine. 2.7, 4.4 yards per carry. So it, it's been a, hashtag pretty good. Hashtag pretty good. Hashtag uh, bad against New Orleans. We're gonna not going to let you forget that. Sorry, right, though. I tell you All what right. would have been good, though. Instead of trying to throw that to Christian McCaffrey, he should have just thrown it to Brenton Burson. <laughs> hey, that man, that man made a goat catch. A goat catch against 
the Vikings. That did he even get targeted after the catch? Died. I don't he think almost, he did. I don't think they put him back in the game. Did he even play after no, he made they, that catch? They yeah, he did. didn't heal it. That was the only they target. They put him back in the game. I was watching that. I'm always watching for Brenton Burson. They did put him back in the game specifically on that drive where they were like on the two yard line and they got pushed back to the one yard line. He was the uh, the wide receiver for the running blocks on that play. So he was I thought they would have just been like, all right, Brenton, I think you've just peaked as an NFL player. We're going to go ahead and sit you down. I mean, House Burson and the House Bird both showed up on Sunday. If we're being yeah, it's nice to see a Bird get the five catches. Five catches, 37 yards for Bird, and Burson had that ridiculous third down completion where he almost died. So, While we're talking about things awesome. that were good, who, who would you say, if we're going to do like the Monday morning optimist thing, who would you get your optimistic seal of approval this week? Go ahead, Brad. I would have to give it to Jonathan Stewart. Three touchdowns. He actually looked kind of not slow on that long run, too. He did. He looked he, good, and he he looked like he still had it when he jumped over the line at yeah. the end of the game, too. Like he still has that that burst when he jumps. I don't know why it doesn't translate to him changing directions, but or accelerating with like while running because he he's like a like a. A battleship, like it takes forever to get moving, but once he's moving, he gets going pretty quick. Yeah, which is another reason why I think they should relegate him to third and one, like the Mike Tolbert role from years past, where you know he's got fresh legs in the fourth quarter. Then you can just, you know, do like they like Legarrette Blunt, just batter them with him, you know, late in the game when the defense is tired. I think he would be more effective that way, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. Read. Brian, before I say mine, who who do you get your get your optimistic on the offensive side of the ball? Um, are we doing only offense? I just I was just are we going to do the entire game? Well, we haven't talked about the defense yet, so all right, just I mean, so, okay, then not just on offense. So I feel like it's no coincidence that the Britain person. Okay, so my turn. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I wasn't even going to say Brenton Burson, despite <laughs> the fact that he's still the goat. I'm gonna... but anyway, but I was going to say, I think that it's no coincidence that the Panthers rushing game came back to form with Ryan Khalil returning to the lineup. Definitely because, didn't hurt. Because just overall, like they ran, as you mentioned earlier, like Christian McCaffrey, he carried the ball eight times for 35 yards, 4.4 yards per carry. He didn't really have any outlier type carries. He just mm-hmm. was running well. Between the tackles, now that Khalil was in, it seemed like both him and Stewart were running quite well. Like, there, I saw, you know, there were those obvious, like, every now and again, those one- to two-yard carries. But there was a lot of times where it was just a, re- a regular run up the middle, nothing special, and they got, like, four or five yards. And I think a lot of that has to do with Khalil. I think that him being back is a, is a big deal. I'm glad that he's healthy and his neck's no longer hurting him. I For think now. that he's going to be a big part of the rushing game going forward as long as he stays healthy. One other thing about the rushing game, um, the we our 216 yards of rushing was over 100 more than anybody else has had against the Vikings this year. Wow. 115 was the previous high that they gave up. So, so the Panthers ran for over 100 yards above that. We, wow. we beat – we, we took our two best carries. It was more rushing yards than the Vikings have given up in the game all season. Um, I'll 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 go with Cam. I thought Cam looked played really well. Um, as is normally the case, it doesn't look like it so much statistically, but 
given the defense he was up against and as usual what he has to work with. I thought he uh, played really good, like sound quarterback play. Um, the interception was not great, but other than that, I thought he was good and can't be understated how big that uh, that 62-yard run was because we were in the midst of a Carolina Panthers fourth quarter meltdown and that definitely and that basically won the game. It definitely which, did. Which was a better getting... play? Which was a better play, the 62-yard run or the touchdown throw to Devin Funches? The touchdown throw. That was just pure cam on that. Yeah, that was like, that was that, that play was broken. Cam Newton, that was the equivalent of Matt Khalil getting a holding a face mask and allowing quarterback <laughs> hit on the same play. That's the same equivalent. That's Cam Newton's version of that. But not, um, not, pull, not pulling punches here. All right, cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, the run. I mean, even though he juked Anderson Sandeo out of his shoes, um, uh, is that his name? Andrew yep. Sandeo out of his shoes. Sandeo, um, yeah. That was uh. I think the, 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 the throw was more impressive just because it took not only did he make two Vikings defenders run into each other while avoiding the sack and then throw but then throwing off his back foot like across his body uh thirty yards on the field. Like it took more diverse skills than the run the run did. I think fewer players can do what Cam did on that throw than they could do on that run. I still don't know how Devin Funches was so wide open either. Um the Vikings did the typical uh Shaq Thompson, they put a linebacker on him. Yeah. They were in a zone, but like the linebacker, I think, I don't remember who it was, but I think he just got, he he tracked Funches for a couple steps, and then he saw the pocket collapsing, and I think he got his eyes caught in the backfield thinking either Cam was going to get sacked or that he had to step up and stop Cam from scrambling and forgot that like the he can still throw it when he starts moving around. Right. I will say... um Speaking to Cam Newton's passing performance, um, there were those few throws. He tried to throw the ball deep, and it really didn't work out. But the thing you have to remember about this Vikings secondary is that you know, you got Xavier Rhodes, you got Harrison Smith, Sadejo's pretty good. Like they have a really good secondary. So I wasn't really expecting Carolina to blow the top off the defense like they can against you know lesser teams. I I was glad to see them try to make those shots down the field just because that forces the defense to account for it. But Yeah, we need to do it more. Well, we're starting to get back to it, but we definitely have to like Well the receivers make... have to get separation too. That's yeah, it's Caleb Clay has literally no separation on that one throw. So... Yeah, which yeah, I mean that's a recurring problem. But um at least we we need to at least show that we're willing to do it. Just to make yeah, defenses. I like that play, even though it didn't work. Yeah, I don't I care if it never to... works. Yeah, I'm just glad we tried it because now mm. the defense has to think, oh, they might do that again. Exactly. Exactly. So moving on, Carolina's defense, which from box score standpoint wasn't so good, but from a you know people who actually real, watch real the quick, game standpoint, real quick. Yep, yeah, go ahead. real quick. Is it just me, or does every now and then Brad Brian's sound like slow down, to where it sounds like he's like entering a trance? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> and then it like catches back up really fast. Yeah, I think he's doing it on purpose. <laughs> it's like moving on the Panthers, all, like it slows down really slow. It's really, it's it's kind of entertaining. I thought you did it on purpose the first time, but it's happened like four times. Well, I apologize for that. 
It's okay. Um, you can't do anything about it except for get better internet. Actually, I probably just need a better laptop. But anyway, okay. um, so Panthers defense. They played pretty well despite the box score. They managed to sack Case Keenum six times, and probably the biggest point of the afternoon was uh, Daryl Worley and James Bradbury both got picks when no Carolina Panthers cornerback had gotten a pick the entire season so far. Um, so I'll start with you, Brad. What did you think of the defense? Well, Despite what the box score says, if you take some context, I think the defense played very well. Um, Case Keenum has only been sacked, I can't remember the number nine. now, nine times all season, and we got him six times. That's ten. hashtag pretty good. We really should have got him about eight or nine times, but he slipped up you know, under at least two, if not three sacks at various points in the game. He even um, somehow managed to to um, duck underneath Captain Munnerlin, which I didn't think was humanly possible <laughs> considering Captain Munnerlin's like three feet I tall. thought the only way to get under Captain Munnerlin would be like go underground. Yeah, you pretty much have to go to the ground. And I, I don't know how he got away from that that sack, but getting to him – as much as we did, and even on plays where we didn't sack him, we forced him to make some bad throws. Uh, I saw a stat earlier today on NFL Network where we held Latavius Murray to 14 yards on nine carries, which is well below his season average so far. So, you know, he didn't do much against us. Jarek McKinnon wasn't very effective against us. The only real player who two players who did much of anything were uh, Adam Thielen and Kyle Rudolph. And you, with Stefan Diggs also in that mix, you kind of have to let one or two of them beat you because you can't stop everyone. Um, But, you know, overall, I thought the defense played great. That's what I, I I said that somewhere today. I think I said in the MMO comments, Um, we did stuff to the Vikings that nobody else has done all season, which is why they've been winning. Oh yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying. On the offensive side of the ball, you were talking about with how many rushing yards we had. But defensively, sacking Keenum as much as we did, that's not even close to anything that's happened this year. And then we also forced, uh, was it two turnovers? Three turnovers. We forced three turnovers, yep. which is one better than we've been doing. And the Vikings only had like 10 turnovers all season. So they basically, they didn't allow backs and they didn't turn the ball over, which is basically the way to, you know, be effective as an offense. And we completely flipped that over on him. I read something from somebody that said not Keenum getting sacked so little was partly the offensive line, but more so him being elusive. And I was like, Case Keenum's not elusive. What are they talking about? Now I know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty elusive. He's slippery. Mr. He's sneaky fast. He's like Russell Wilson, except he like without the speed after the magic tricks. Yeah, he's usually the first guy on the field and last guy off of it, if you know what I mean. He's so, a real film rat. Who yep. gets your optimistic trophy for the defensive side of the ball, Brian? Well, before I get into that, well, actually, I guess it kind of goes into that. I guess it kind of yeah. gets into that point anyway. Um, segue. So, Ju- Julius Peppers and Mario Addison are both tied with nine and a half sacks, which to me is kind of incredible because the last person 
on the Panthers defense to reach even 10 sacks was K1 short in 2015. And I think he had what, like 10 and a half or something like that. Something like so, that. <clears throat> so with three games left, the Panthers have two guys who are nearing 10 sacks, both of which are in their thirties and they're still playing well. So I guess the well, optimist. Oh, this is like our entire defensive line is in its thirties. So that's not true. Kwan <laughs> Short and Sarlatulli are still young. So Kwan Short is yes, he's twenty eight, very young, younger than thirty. Yes, he is. He is younger than thirty. Got me there. Yep. That's what I do. Um. So I guess my, I'm not really gonna stick. Give it to Julius Peppers just because there's a really strong chance he's not even back next year. So I'm gonna give it to Mario Addison. Um. Uh, yeah. He's my optimist guy because. That strip sack was inches away from being an incomplete pass. And my Patriots fan friend who was on the podcast with us before messaged me and said, nice and complete pass, by the way. And I was like, I don't know about that. It it was a really good play by Addison. Like I actually think we got the benefit of 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 a good home cooking replay on that because it looked like that was an incomplete pass. No, nah, it, it got hit in his hand. I mean then... it was it was hit in his hand, but I mean, he kind of flipped it far. I don't know. I'm I'm glad it worked out the way it did, and I I was kind of surprised that they kept the call on the field. I um I, was, I said I was expecting them to overturn it. I thought that was that was the tightest spiral I've ever seen on a fumble. My yeah. favorite thing about that play was that Mario Addison almost recovered it because he was the only person on the field that knew it was a fumble. Like yeah. everyone's just kind of like walking around. And Mario, if you watch Mario Addison, is like sprinting from where he just hit Keenum, like pointing at the ball and yelling. It was so funny if he recovered his own forced fumble like 10 yards in the field. <laughs> who, who did end up recovering it? Was it Luke? Michael Adams. Or Michael Adams, okay. But regardless yeah. of that one play, if we want to remove that as the benefit of the doubt, which I'm not going to agree with that, Brad, but we'll we'll go ahead and agree to disagree. Um, regardless, though, especially on the first drive, that – the defensive line came out and just came after that rushing game by the Vikings. Like they had what two or three straight tackles for a loss of like three yards against the Vikings. Like that's, that's pretty incredible for a really good rushing attack. Like they have. So definitely giving my stamp of approval on Mario Addison. He's definitely paying dividends for the contract. The Panthers gave him. Yeah, that was, that was who I was thinking. Um, I'm going to give it to Andrew Gatchkar. Because he got the quietest two tackles I've ever seen in my life. I didn't even know he was on the field at all, and he had two tackles. That's not my real answer. Just wanted to point that out. Um, <laughs> I was just like looking through the box score, and I saw that name, and I was like, "Oh, that's a name." Um, I'll go with. I'm just. I'll go with Luke. The easy answer, because he he had that he had a little bit of extra step in his step yesterday or Sunday. It seemed like, and um. One thing we've seen from him this year, which was like kind of the last phase, like the last thing in his development as a player, I guess, was rushing the passer, and he's been a lot better at that. And he got one of the six sacks yesterday or Sunday, so that's that's always at um. Could have had another one too if, if Case Keenum didn't duck him, but yeah, yeah, he he was he in typical Luke fashion, he was all over the place, but it seemed more so yesterday. I think he had fourteen tackles yesterday, which I think is the most he's had in a game this season. Um. So that I got, we got to give him a shout out for that. He had like eight in the first quarter too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was everywhere. 
Brad, your turn. I will go with Kwan Short. Yeah, that's good too. The last, I, the last, the last series? drive, to one or two series. Kwan Short turned on the Jets and just absolutely turned into the Incredible Hulk, and we <laughs> needed that. Uh, um, yeah. You know, a sack, a tackle for a loss. I'm sure he had one or two more, and it just—he looked like the K1 short that we gave a contract extension to, and it was at the the perfect time of the game for that to happen. Yeah, one of those was on the after the interception, right? Yeah, that kind of yes. pushed them out of you know like touchdown territory. It was actually territory. on third down too. He yes, he's the reason they had to kick goal. a field goal. Yeah, you could, that's that's definite brownie points there. And speaking of that, just. Just a good caveat here. Um, I loved the fact that after the Panthers like initially blew the lead and came back and scored, that Steve Wilkes was just like F it and just threw the blitz right at them on that on that first drive with less than two minutes left and just sacked Case Keenum. Like I love that aggression by the defensive coordinator because that's not something Sean McDermott would have done. Mm-mm. We would have said, especially when we were, especially because we we're up by a touchdown. It's very easy to be like, we'll let you dink and knock your way down the field, but you're going to run out of time before you can get to the end zone. Yeah, like no, Steve Wilkes is just like, nope. You're not, you're not going anywhere. Yep. We're going yeah, to get K-1 minus six yards on this, on this uh, drive. K1 Short ended the game with three tackles, three solo, two sacks, two tackles for loss. But all of that was in the fourth quarter with like mm. four minutes to go. And yeah. You know, he showed up when it counts. And none of us said his name, but we also need to give a special shout-out to Daryl Worley. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, yeah. he, he actually played well, and he looked like he really wants to earn his job back from Kevon Seymour. I know this is probably a hot take, but he was the best corner on the field for Carolina on Sunday. That's not a hot take. He, like, it wasn't even just the interception because that was an underthrown pass, but... He was just there whenever the ball was thrown his way. He made several great plays on the ball. He made several great tackles. Just didn't seem like he ever blew any coverage, and I was very happy with what he did. I think that he's. It, it was nice to see. It was nice to see the interception though, because even when the ball has been poorly thrown, our corners seem to have had a hard time like finding the ball in flight and making plays on it. So even though it was it was not the most difficult interception, it's something that we haven't seen from any of our corners so far this year. Well, the other thing about that interception, too, is it set the tone for the defense, which is something mm-hmm. that I think people are underplaying. Like, that first interception basically said, hey, we're the same defense we were yeah. over the last two years. Like, they, the entire defense as a whole played so much more aggressive for the rest of the game as far as playing the ball went. And I think it. I think a lot of it stemmed from Daryl Worley getting that interception, despite the fact that it was basically a gimme. Um, yeah, the juice is flowing a little bit. Yeah, that's what you want to see. I mean, that's what's going to bring this team to the Super Bowl if it's going to happen. Is an opportunistic defense. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. This offense is not any is not an upper tier offense. They have Cam Newton. They have Christian McCaffrey. They have Devin Punches, Greg Olson. Whenever he gets over his like his foot injury, but. Like ultimately, what it comes down to is this defense is going to have to make plays to give this offense some chances to score. To score, they're not going to take it eighty yards down the field four times a game. So, yeah, this is the kind of football they need to be playing. Yeah, it's the offense. It kind of goes how Cam Newton goes, and Cam can't be great every game. So the defense, I'm I'm still holding out hope that the turnovers 
it's just kind of had like a regression to the mean and we're just going to start like the, like this past Sunday could be the start of it where we just start forcing again, interceptions I'm, and fumbles. With that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be fine with two. I'm not going to be yeah. greedy, but hopefully so you it's just for three and then they, they give you two <laughs> and you know, you're okay with it. So yeah, <laughs> got to negotiate a little bit. Yeah, so start eye and, and then you can settle for the, and then you, then the two seems like a bargain after you ask for three. Exactly. So I guess I'll transition us into our pessimistic takes. Um, John, and this can be for either side of the ball. What are you most pessimistic about? And it might be hard because the Panthers just beat a really good team. Yeah, it's 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 hard to find anybody because it felt like we the the Panthers played well in every in every phase, like as well as could be expected um, against the Vikings. I don't know. Do either of you guys have an answer? <sighs> I would probably go with the Cam to McCaffrey play that was intercepted like a single play. I don't think mm-hmm. I could I don't think I could name a player that that just did not play well. Um I do have one. Though it's not really the player's fault, but I'm kind of pessimistic right now about Greg Olson. And like I said, totally not his fault but I'm not really sure when he's going to be okay enough to play to the level that we know him at. Yeah. That was like literally like two snaps after the game started, you could tell he was hurting. Like the way he was walking around, you could tell he was in pain. Like, I don't know how long it's going to take him to recover from that, but it's not something where it's just going to be like one week. He's just going to be okay again. Like he's going to be hurting for the next few weeks. I don't know if he's like, I don't know if the Panthers are going to have that version of Greg Olson back this year. It's definitely they concerning. Depend on it. No, not after because he's played. He's been back for two different games, and both games he's very quickly had to go to the sidelines with foot with to deal with his foot. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like it's it's a pain tolerance thing, and it was nice that he came back in, which is somewhat relieving. But it's concerning that it just keeps popping up. It seems like whenever anything out of the ordinary happens. I mean, his sheer presence on the field is going to help the offense just because the defense, mm-hmm. no matter how hurt he is, is going to have to game plan for him because it's Greg Olson, the only tight end in NFL history to receive for 1,000 yards in three consecutive seasons. Like, they have to plan for him regardless of how hurt he is. But at the same time, I don't see it being – I don't see him having any, like, over 50-yard receiving games over the next at least three weeks. Like, maybe in the playoffs. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah, he might. He's he's gonna be himself. like a, like a Tyler Croft for the Bengals, where he'll catch like two passes for eight yards, but they're both touchdowns. Yeah, like, I'm fine with thing. that too. Yeah. So, but he he does have to be accounted for, even if he's not at his peak athletically right now with the foot issues. Um, just his like intelligence as a player, you know, there it, it's he has to be accounted for because he's good at finding you know the openings, end zone coverages and stuff like that. And you know, they know he'll catch it if he gets the opportunity. It's kind of like that. Ryan Khalil. You know, he's not 100% physically, but his veteran leadership and his his ability to call blocking schemes on the line are very important. And the, the defense has to respect it when he's on the field, even if well, he's not himself. Well, the other thing is, like, Khalil's injury was a neck injury, which is, like, from a 
play-to-play standpoint, not as significant if he's able to take the field as a foot injury because a foot injury for a wide receiver or a tight end is huge because they have to make those plants. They have to make those cuts where, like, Ryan Khalil's issue was mainly just, you know, bending his head down and then bending his head up to snap the ball, which, don't get me wrong, that's a big deal. Like, that's I'm not downplaying that. But from that standpoint, he still can block from – he can still block the way he normally would because the rest of his body's okay. And it seems like he's okay now, but like Olsen, like he only played, I think one or two drives before he had to go off and get his foot taped again. And they said that he rolled his foot, but like it really didn't take much for him to need to come off the field and get himself retaped. Like that's not good. He's not going to be some, he's not going to be the same weapon he was for Carolina, at least this year. The thing about it, the foot, too, was that it happened when he was blocking. I don't know if he, like, stepped on somebody's foot or something that aggravated it, but as a tight end, he kind of has – blocking is a pretty big part of his job description. And it's one of those exactly. things that I don't think they can fully test and practice because they don't go full contact, really. So it's just one of those things where you just kind of, like, you don't know how it is going to respond until you get into the game. So I'm I, I'm yeah. sure we'll see Greg – doing the same thing for at least the next couple of weeks with the in and out and getting it retaped and stuff like that. Yeah, my hope is that if the Panthers somehow come up with like a strong lead against the Packers that they just keep him out the rest of the game because mm-hmm. he's going to re-aggravate that injury at least once or once or twice more just because like your foot is a big deal especially for a player like him kind of important um, for a football player to have a foot. Yeah. 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 Um, so can we safely assume that he's not going to get his um, another 1,000-yard season? I'm not ready to call it yet. Not quite ready hey, to call it games, yet. There's three games I, left. If, re- if he receives 333 yards in two of the games, 334 yards in one of the games, that's 1,000 yards. So. I, that be something um, if he did that for real? Like That would be impossible. <laughs> Yeah, I know. You can't. You, I don't even think we could throw for that many yards, and then they have to all. He would actually be Thor at that point. Like, there's no one could dispute the fact that he actually is Thor if he did that. We should do the Steelers game plan from last night. Like, hopefully, we have a playoff spot clinch before we go to Atlanta, and then just Cam Newton throws the ball like 78 times, all of them at Greg Olson. Yeah. Like every play, <laughs> just every play, you have nine yeah. guys. Every guy has nine guys in protection, and Greg just runs around until he gets open, and Cam throws it to him. Yeah. That would be that would be top notch entertainment. I don't know about you guys. Oh yeah. I mean, if we've already got a playoff spot locked up, let Derek Anderson throw it. I mean, it doesn't have to be Cam. <laughs> as That's much true. as this, as much as I'd love to see this pipe dream come to fruition, there's no way. Garrett Gilbert should do it actually instead of Derek Anderson. Yeah, actually, some yeah, reps. Garrett Gilbert. Yeah. Actually, what they should do is sign Joe Webb again and let him do it. He did, he, Joe Webb. He won the game for Buffalo. Yeah, he led the game winning track for Buffalo on Sunday. What did we do? Why did we let him go? He was such a big contributor. Like that guy is a savior. He's almost Brenton Burson level. That was um, yeah, that was that was quite. Did you guys see any of that game, the Colts and the Bills game? Yeah, I did. They flipped over to it here when our game ended, so I got it's, to see the last part of overtime. It's so funny watching NFL players be slow. Yes, because <laughs> I mean, they, they, could they not... looked like they were, yeah, they, like they all weighed 300 pounds because they were trotting along in what looked like 
two feet of snow. It, yeah, normally you see the snow games, and it's just like it's snowing, and there's like a layer of snow on the grass. They were playing in like, you know, like six inches of snow stuck on the ground, and they were just kicking up snow everywhere. They could not get their footing. It was it was a grand time. Like I still, I've seen the highlights of it. I still am not sure if Kelvin Benjamin actually scored because there's no <laughs> way they could tell if he got both feet in or not. Yeah, I was watching. There was so I was, much snow on the ground. I had Red Zone on uh, earlier today. His background noise. <laughs> it was one of the, he made a catch on the sideline, and it's like, well, they're not going to be able to review that, so I guess it's a catch. Yeah, um, exactly. Tell me where the line is. What would you guys? Would you guys like it, or would you be um, apprehensive about the Hornets getting a game in that kind of weather? Or not the Hornets? The Panthers have the Hornets. I would game say on. I would love to see the Hornets play a game in that kind of weather. <laughs> I had the game on TV, so I saw the word Hornets. If the Panthers had a game in that kind have of weather, have they blown the lead yet? No, they're actually built on the lead. Oh, good. good. Okay. Yeah, I would actually like. I would like to see the Panthers play in the snow. Hmm. I feel like we'd have the but, advantage because we could we have Cam Newton as a quarterback. We could just go like Georgia Tech Navy offense and just run triple options all game. Yeah, put Cam Stewart and McCaffrey out there and just run the option every play. We wouldn't even have to throw it. But I don't want to see them play in a game like Buffalo Indianapolis. I don't want that kind of snow. But I, I feel would like, like that, to see yeah. them play in the snow. That kind of snow is kind of like a, it doesn't matter who the better team is type of thing. Like it's just kind of an equalizer. Yeah, like Indianapolis really should have won that game because they mm-hmm. went for two and got it, but there was a penalty. Yeah, that's I one of those know. games. Like the Browns could beat the Patriots if the weather was like that, just based on like yeah, it, a lot of it comes down to just like luck and you know who who slips and who makes the right cut at the right time and stuff like that. <laughs> there were there were plays where like the ball was snapped and the fullback like slipped the first step he took, or even moved out of a spot. Wow. Well, um, it's getting to be about that time. So, any last thoughts for you guys? No, um, no. I'm I'm happy that we won. Um, I am. Me too. I'm glad we predicted a solid win, and they lived up to our expectations. Always nice to be spot on with predictions. Um, I hate you, bro. <laughs> the one thing I think so says is Panthers are now nine and four. I think. Our ma- like, all right. I feel like our de facto magic number is two, between us and the Falcons, and the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd, it wouldn't clinch a spot, but if we just win one of our next two games, and the Falcons or Seahawks drop one, I feel like it's pretty much set that we'll make the playoffs. Yeah, um, I did a playoff, um, a playoff picture article earlier today, and. We are mathematically eligible still for all six spots. Mm-hmm. And we are also mathematically eligible to not even make the playoffs. Like yeah. literally anything can happen. If I, I yeah, go ahead. sorry. If we went out, the best we can be is 12 and four. So mm-hmm. if we went out, we're 12 and four. We're, we're definitely in cause there aren't going to be set. They're not going to be seven, 12 and four teams. So well, yeah, there's already, there's already everybody has more than four losses already anyway. There's only yeah. five teams that have that possibility. Yeah, so we're in if we win out. If one of Philadelphia or the Rams 
end up 11 and five or worse, we're a top two seed with a home game and a first round bye. If Minnesota finishes 12 and four as well as us, we're the number one seed because we beat them yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, the most likely first round bye scenario, though, is the number two seed. Uh, because I don't see both New Orleans, or, or I'm sorry, both Philadelphia and the Rams finishing 11 and five. Um, you know, the Eagles beat us, so they own that tiebreaker. And then the Rams, one of their losses was an AFC game. So, you know, they, they have three conference losses instead of four. So they would win by, by virtue of that tiebreaker. That Bears loss could end up costing us a home game in the playoffs. Yeah, I think the thing about that Bears game is that I feel like every team except for maybe like the Patriots, well, yeah, except for like the Patriots, has a game like that this year. Like the Steelers also lost to the Bears, and they're eleven yeah. and two, which is ironic because the Patriots are losing to the Dolphins as we speak, twenty to ten. <laughs> well, see, that could be their Bears game. Yeah, it could be. Um, but. Uh... But, you know, we also have to focus on winning the division because if we lose the division, we're probably going to New Orleans for the first round of the playoffs. That's probably not very good. We, we really need somebody else to beat New Orleans for us so we don't have to play them again. <laughs> My, the problem we, with that is that we get in a situation where the team that's most likely to beat New Orleans coming like, down the stretch is Atlanta. And if Atlanta does that, then we have a chance that there's a chance that we're playing Atlanta in Atlanta for winner wins the division, loser misses the playoffs. Yeah, and I really don't want that to happen. I don't either. want that at all. Yeah. I want that game against Atlanta to mean nothing other than us being able to give the people at the Falcoholic a little bit of shit for beating them. Yeah. Or them giving us shit for beating us. That's really all I want to be at stake in week seventeen. Yeah, so as a fan, I am one hundred percent on board with the Saints beating the Falcons in week 16 to like yes. help us clinch a playoff spot. Yes. I would rather be the fifth seed than miss out entirely. Yeah. Cause the Falcons play at Tampa Bay and at New Orleans and versus us. I feel like New Orleans probably is a better chance to beat them than Tampa Bay does. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with Gerald McCoy getting hurt today, you know, coming yeah. out today that he's hurt. So their defense is even more suspect than it was. It's <laughs> probably like the worst in the league. Yeah. Why can't we be in the AFC? No, yeah, we'd be the number one seed or in competition <laughs> for the number one overall seed so, in the AFC. I don't know if you saw it today, but I posted that like the Panthers had the toughest or no, the second toughest strength schedule uh, among playoff eligible Funny teams. Funny enough, the NFC South is in the top. All three teams in vying for playoff spots in the NFC South are in the top five for strength schedule. They're all in the top three uh, in terms yeah, of playoff Yeah, because we play teams. each other. Yeah. yeah. The Saints have the toughest strength of schedule among teams that are still in the playoff hunt. And then the uh, Panthers and Falcons are tied after that. The Panthers have the strongest victory of any team that's um, potentially can make the playoffs. But it was just funny because I'm like, like thinking who's still in the playoff hunt. And stuff like, like the Chargers are seven and six. And they're like, and they're tied for the wild card. And then I look down at the NFC and like the Cowboys and Packers and Lions are seven and six. And I'd feel like they're completely out of it. They do, they just about are like, I mean, Green Bay, for example, they've got to win out and finish 10 and six. We have, to lose, to, win out. 
yeah, yeah, they all have to win out, but we have to like lose out or win one game that's not against Green Bay. Uh, Atlanta mm-hmm. has to lose. Seattle, I mean, they need a lot of help. And, you know, Green Bay at seven and six would be a division leader mm-hmm. if they were in the AFC. Um, like, there's one team, I can't remember who it is in the AFC. They're six and seven, and they're still technically in the hunt. The Raiders? Probably the Titans. Is it the Raiders? The Titans are eight and five. They're the most boring eight and five team in the world in the history of the NFL. Really? Damn. Yeah, exactly. They're eight and four coming into last, to Sunday's games. I was like, they get no press. I'll be damned. Yeah, so you thought they're six and seven. Exactly. That's like point proven. They're currently the five seed right now. That's they, crazy. They just, lose to, they just lost to the Cardinals, and the Cardinals aren't great. No, definitely not. Let's see. The Raiders, yeah, the Raiders are six and seven. They're the technically the quote unquote ninth seed in the AFC. And the Bills and Chargers are both seven and six, and they're they're fighting for the sixth seed with the Ravens, who are also seven and six. And the Ravens yeah. probably will get it because they play Cleveland, Indianapolis, and Cincinnati. And Kansas City, don't forget, they're also seven and six. And Kansas City is also seven and six, and they're they play the Chargers next week. That probably will decide who wins the division on Saturday, too. Yeah, on Saturday. Yeah, fun stuff. That's four different days of the NFL games that coming up this week: Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah, and. Shameless plug. We will be previewing the Panthers versus the Packers where Aaron Rodgers is most likely back. I'm so excited to ask if they're scared of him breaking his collarbone. I'm just going to ask, like, the last time um, the Panthers faced a quarterback in his first game back from a broken collarbone, um, he never played again after the game. Thoughts? (laughs) Yeah. He's an analyst for CBS Sports. So I'm 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 going to... That might be the first question I ask. Hey, maybe maybe Aaron Rodgers and Tony Romo will be partners. <laughs> are you are you worried that Aaron Rodgers might be the next the second consecutive quarterback that returns from broken collarbone to face the Panthers, only to become a uh, color commentator within the next thirty uh, twelve months? <laughs> I have to give Tony Romo credit too. Uh, he wasn't as annoying. On Sunday, he was less annoying. He he was less annoying. I don't know if he's just been told, like, "Hey, Tony, stop yelling so much." I think he was. I think what happened was they said, "Tony, um, John DeLong from Cat Scratch Reader (laughs) thinks you're annoying. We need you to tone it down a bit." The thing that's funny is I'm not even like his biggest hater. It's my brother is even worse. Like, (laughs) my favorite thing about watching into Tony Romo is that like me and my brother just go back and forth yelling about Tony Romo yelling about stupid stuff. But he he didn't really give it give us anything to complain about this past Sunday. Yeah, I'm I would much rather listen to Jim Nance and Tony Romo than some of the Fox commentators like Tom Brenneman. Um oh so did I get you on the on the Tom Brenneman uh, hate train. The, the Tom Brenneman. Yeah. Tom <laughs> can't stand him. Yeah, he, he. I was watching. Like I said, I was watching Red Zone earlier today. Just like and they, 
there was a I can't remember who oh it was the Packers against the Browns and he was just like just going in on the Packers for wasting like 10 seconds before calling a timeout when they had like first and goal with 35 seconds left it's like I think they're okay Tom yeah time is not a problem for them right now and that makes me it's wonder him and Chris Spielman broadcasting our game next week it probably will be Tom we get Fox again next week yeah, we should be on Fox. Bobby I don't. Ramo. I don't think anybody moved it. Yeah, we'll 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 know. Is there anywhere that before Wednesday? Because I know on Wednesday the five hundred six posts like the game, like the map. Well, and they the post the map. I think on on their website they have the broadcast team information. Nope, they don't have it yet. It is on Fox. Yeah, I know it's on Fox. It's just it's probably going to be Thom because Philadelphia plays the Giants, and they'll get the Joe Buck. the The late game is Seattle and the Rams. That'll probably be Joe Buck and yeah, Roy Joe Aikman, Buck and one of those Roy two. Aikman. So we're probably going to be stuck with Thom, <laughs> Goody, or we'll get Kenny Albert and or Dick Stockton or um one of those. Kind of hope we get Dick Stockton because he always mispronounces everybody's name. <laughs> he does. He's really bad about that. He's he's um. How, they had a good one on Sunday. I can't remember what it was though. Where they gave somebody the wrong name. He's like, yeah, I'm just. You, I know you don't get him, but um, Steve Martin, who does the uh, radio now for the Hornets, he he did TV for the longest time, and now they put him on the radio. He is oh, so bad. Yeah, you didn't know that. No, I I thought that the guy sounded different on TV, but I just I didn't think <laughs> yeah, anything of it. Yeah, he's a new guy. They put they they demoted him essentially to radio. Like, so the the, the Hornets hire their radio team, but then Fox is in charge of who does the color of the TV broadcast, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so they said, "Hey, Steve, we're gonna go in a different direction." And the Hornets were like, "Well, we're not gonna let you go go unemployed." So they kicked the guy off the radio, put Steve Martin on the radio. But huh. it's kind of tough because he gets so many names wrong, so he gets you really confused. He'll be like, like, like MKG will like run down the court and dunk it, and he'll be like, Kimba Walker. Oh, oh, no, wait, that was <laughs> Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Like, come on, Steve, you know Kimba can't dunk. Use your, use your, use your mind. And the other thing he does is he thinks every whistle is a foul. Oh, great. it's so funny. It's like they get this. Somebody will like drive to the basket, and we've got a foul. Uh, oh no, no, he stepped out of bounds. Never mind. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> and we've got a foul and it's like oh no it was just a defensive three seconds it's like steve let you let the refs tell you what it is first it's not always a foul but he's, he's a good guy i enjoy listening to him so, all this panthers talk here you know it, are we like, uh, there's a lot of crossover between panthers and hornets fans brian people know what i'm talking but this is the fourth and short podcast and we don't talk about you know we're here to entertain panthers fans I'm not entertained right now. All right, well then you can end the show. I will. I've been I've been waiting to end the show to be honest. Go for it. There's a reason that listenership was double what it normally is last week. Oh, I can't don't put my finger on it. Oh, don't even give me that. All right, well, from all so of us here in the show or not? Short podcast. This is Brian joined by John and Brad who apparently do so much better without me. So, this might be my last show. So everybody have a good night.
I, I should say good day since you'll be listening during the day. All right, I'm fired. All right. Can't even close right. Right here whenever you decide to All listen right. next time. All right. Well, I may or may not be here, but catch you later. So get me started on one. It needs to be I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. 
Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.